Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. Those are the first four verses of Psalm 72, which is the psalm appointed for today, Wednesday, May the 18th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. I appreciate it very much. There's some, uh, that that psalm, actually, which is, it would have been um, recited on the for the behalf of the king, and, and they would want a good king, right? I mean, we all want a good king, president, prime minister, whatever the person's title happens to be. And, and it's going to play into the, the rest of the, um, the readings today, in particular, the Romans reading today. So you'll see, and, and we'll have, I'll have more to say about that than anything else today. So if I skip over some things and don't say them, um, no, it's because I'm saving something <laughs> for the Romans passage. So the first passage is from Wisdom, Book of Wisdom, uh, verses thir- chapter 13, verses 1 to 9. I have said before that this um, book is ascribed to Solomon. And what I mean by that, just so you'll know, is not that people actually believe wholeheartedly that it, that it belongs to Solomon, because it doesn't seem to be dated from the time of Solomon. Um, it, it, the reason that, that it's not in the Bible, that it's in the Apocrypha instead, is because there's that problem. Uh, so that's that, I wanted to say that real quick. So, for behold, all men who were, were ignorant of God were foolish by nature. Now, his argument here in the passage that we're going to read today, if you go back and read Romans 1, then what you're going to see is the same argument Paul makes there is the argument being made here. And that is is that, that denying the existence of God makes you a fool at the end of the day. It keeps you from seeing the truth and understanding the world and your place in it correctly. So for all men who are ignorant of God were foolish by nature, and they were unable from the good things that are seen to know him who exists, is exactly Paul's argument. Nor did they recognize the craftsmanship while paying heed to his works. But they supposed that either fire or wind or swift air or the circle of stars or turbulent water or the luminaries of heaven were the gods that rule the world. And so there is a huge truth in that. You know, that, that's what astrology, for instance, is all about, uh, is that the, those things in the heavens rule the world. Genesis 1, the way that God creates, is exactly the corrective to that idea. It is, it's there, in essence, to debunk that whole idea, to say, no, 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 that's completely backwards, that God created all of those things. They, they are not in control. God is. And that's the reason that, that he doesn't say sun and moon, for instance. It's the lesser, it's the greater light and the lesser light. They're not gods. So we don't worship these things. If through delight in the beauty of these things, men assumed them to be gods, which is absolutely true. It's what people all over the world have done. Then let them know how much better than these is their Lord. For the author of beauty created them. That, what, that, I mean, it's as simple as that. But, but the other thing is, what we need beyond the sun, moon, and stars to rule over us is personal. We need a personal God. We need something like us to rule over us. That's, that, that's the only true and, and imaginable explanation in so many ways. And so, it's no, it's not inanimate objects that rule over us. It's a person. 
And if men were amazed at their power in working, let them perceive from them how much more powerful is he who formed them. For from the greatness and beauty of created things comes a corresponding perception of their creator. You can the, the, the creation reveals creator. And it's the, um, the old understanding uh, of how things came to be is, is this the watchmaker. Um, and, and that is, is that, that if you run across a watch in a field somewhere, you don't assume those things randomly assembled themselves together and formed this thing. No, it's evidence that there's a watchmaker behind it. That's an old, old form of argumentation for creation. Yet these men are little to be blamed, for perhaps they go astray while seeking God and desiring to find them. He's given them a lot of grace <laughs> in in that idea right there. So it's it's possible that they're seeking for him, and then they they go away and they go astray and they and they miss the mark. And I think that's largely um, the case in a lot of people, but but not in others. In others, their their main effort is to deny the existence of a creator, existence of any God. And why would you do that? Well, mainly because it's to escape any form of something like judgment or responsibility or accountability. For as they live among his works, they keep searching. They won't accept the proof that they've been given in creation, and they trust in what they see, because the things that are seen are beautiful. Yet again, not even they are to be excused. For if they had the power to know so much that they could investigate the world, how did they fail to find sooner the Lord of these things? And again, that's exactly Paul's argument in, in Romans 1, because God, the, the witness of creation is the first thing Paul brings to bear, and he's bringing that to bear against um, people who are outside the covenant community. So he's bringing it to bear against the pagans, um, and anybody who doesn't worship the true and living God is, is a pagan. I mean, it's just the way it is. That's a, that's a definitional thing. So that he brings the argument and says, you're, you're not innocent. God didn't leave you without a witness. You have the witness of creation before you. The fact that you deny the witness of creation and the sign that which points to creator is on you. That's exactly what Paul's argument it is, and it's exactly what Solomon, let's, let's say Solomon wrote it, it's exactly what the author of wisdom, the book of wisdom, argues, that you're not innocent. You, you can't be excused for failing to to accept the witness of creation. And it's the same thing that happens with Jesus, right? I mean, he continually points to his words and his teaching and his works to say, you're ignoring the witnesses that are before you. I came and gave you uh, enough information that you should be able to make a judgment based on what you see and hear. And in the gospel today, Jesus says, no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed. No, they put it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. So I think I've told you before, my mentor Chuck Murphy used to say this all the time, and that is is that sooner or later, everybody gets your number. I mean, you, you can't hide things forever and ever and ever. I mean, sadly, one of the one of the prime examples of that is um, a man who who was a great Christian apologist, known the world over, respected by so many people. Many people came to faith because of his apologetic expertise. But the problem was that after he died, I'm talking about Ravi Zacharias. I'll go ahead and name him. Uh, after he died, what they found out was is that 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 there was a lot of immorality in his life, and, and it compromised his witness. Does it compromise truth? No. Does it compromise his witness? Absolutely. And, and that's an important thing. And, and so we all need to live lives as best we can that are above reproach. 
and, and it matters. Those things matter. And so Jesus is talking about the gospel, but he's talking about everything. He's talking about if things will, will all come to light eventually. But, but with respect to the gospel, no, you make it known. And that's the reason for the incarnation. Take care then how you hear, for the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. So we, we do need to take care how we hear and what we hear. We, we need to fill our lives with the Word of God. We need to fill our lives with, with that, and, and then we need to be careful about how we act, because Jesus is getting ready to, to say that very thing. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the Word of God and do it. So when he says, take care how you hear, what he's saying is, is that take care that you hear rightly and then act on what you've heard. It's not simply for your edification that I say these things. How you hear, if you accept something as true, then, then you get rid of the things in your life that don't line up with that truth because they're then false. And so that's what he means when he says, take care how you hear. Hearing should lead to doing. And Jesus says it again and again, this same kind of thing. My mother and her brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. So he's not saying that my mother and brothers don't hear the word of God and do it. What he's saying is, is that, that no, the scope of what we call mother, brothers, all that, 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 the scope of that within the kingdom is extended to those who hear the word and do it. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let's go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out and as they sailed, he fell asleep. There's a Jonah thing here. <laughs> and a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And Jesus could have said, that's the whole reason I'm here. That is exactly the reason that I'm here because you are perishing and you're unaware of it. You're only applying it to the situation at hand. I'm applying it to eternity. <clears throat> and he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, where's your faith? Well, I don't know, because the fact that you stood up and rebuked the wind and the waves and became calm caused me to pee. <laughs> it's, I mean, it, where's your faith? Um, <laughs> it, um. I mean, you know, yeah, okay, you healed people and you did all these other things, but my goodness, you just spoke to the wind and the waves. And this points back again to that Ecclesiastes passage. He's the Lord of all creation. And that's what he's just shown. They get to see an example of, oh, wow. When he claims equality with God, he really means it. And they were afraid. Good reaction, smart reaction. And they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him. Well, there's only one. <laughs> so the answer to that is a given once you state the question. In the Romans passage, so here's what we've got. This is the, this first little bit here. Man, this gets really uh, dicey as far as how we interpret it. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and those that existed have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Is that an absolute? Does that mean there's no such 
place for civil disobedience? Well, over the years, there's been a variety of opinions on that. And for a long time, it became, as long as the government doesn't cause you to sin, then it's not, um, then it's then you have to obey. And now that's been expanded to things like if it's unconstitutional. But the problem is that there's got to be an arbiter <laughs> of unconstitutional. And that's going to be different wherever you happen to live. But it matters, and that's Paul's talking about that very thing, about where do you live, subject to the civil authorities, wherever you are. And so as long as they don't, so you've got two options now, right? So one is limited only to those things where the government requires sin by law. The second is, okay, you've exceeded the constitutional bounds of your authority. And a third case could be that that it's um, that it's asking you to do something that's immoral. Well, not just immoral. That's not a really good way to say it. The, the third case would be extended beyond that to it's it's um, improper for you to to do this. So it's not just unconstitutional. You've exceeded the bounds of your authority, and that's become a big issue, right, with this vaccine. Have they exceeded the bounds of their authority by requiring vaccines? Making it available is one thing. Requiring it is another. Because there are certain conscience objections that, that really should be dealt with, with with respect to a particular vaccine. What's in it? Is that going to cause me to sin, frankly? Is it, is it going against God's word if I do this. Now, everybody doesn't have to answer that the same way, in, in the same way that everybody doesn't have to serve in the military. You can be a conscientious objector, and, and the, the government has carved out space for that. And so what we have to do is recognize that this thing has exceeded the bounds of its authorities over my life by taking away any kind of liberties that we have acknowledged in the beginning were given, not by government, but by God. But by God. And so those are important things. If we live in a country that recognizes that those freedoms are given by God, then, then we, we need to be very careful about having those freedoms taken away from us by government because it didn't give them to start with. But once it starts taking them away, then, then the line becomes blurred between where those freedoms came from or where they come from. So it, it doesn't mean there's no such thing as civil disobedience. We see that on and on in Scripture. We see the Hebrew midwives objecting to that. We see Daniel and his friends saying, no, I'm not going to do what the king told me to do. Now, was it sinful to eat those, the foods from the king's table? It was, yes, it could have been, but, but that's not Daniel's real objection because Daniel only wants vegetables. Jews weren't re- restricted to vegetables and water, but that's what Daniel said they wanted. So you, you see this civil disobedience again and again. You know, you, you see it in, in the life of Paul. You see it in the life of um, Peter and John when they tell the Sanhedrin, the council for whom they've been brought to before, telling them not to preach and, and teach in the name of Jesus anymore. And they say, you take a flying leap. We're obeying him, not you. So they're rejecting the legitimacy of their authority. And, and Paul does the same. Jesus says, your authority didn't, is not your own. You don't have any authority over me. The Father didn't give you. He's recognizing that authority in that instance. He recognizes that authority with respect to taxation. But how does he do it? Because the Jews objected on religious grounds. Jesus says, no, let me see a coin. Who's the coin belong to? It belongs to whoever's inscription is on it, so give it to them. You're a legitimate taxing authority because it's your money, not mine. And so there are places where, where Jesus condones disobedience to civil authorities. 
with respect to the um, crucifixion, no, because that was God-ordained, and he knew it. But at one point, they tell him, flee, go somewhere else, because Herod's looking for you. And he says, you go tell that fox that I'm going to continue to do what I do. In fact, I'm coming right on his doorstep. I'm coming to Jerusalem. I'm not running the other direction. I'm running that way. So it's important that we understand there are places for civil disobedience, and that has to do when government oversteps its legitimate bounds, when something's unconstitutional, or when there's, it's requiring me to sin in order to obey. So I just wanted to kind of quickly run through that. It's a much more complex situation, and I acknowledge that, but I just wanted to give you the way a lot of Christian thinkers come down on this issue of civil disobedience. He says, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Now, that's not always true, right? I mean, um, when in, in Nazi Germany, for instance, children were asked to give um, to turn over their parents if they heard them having any sort of com- conversations that, that seemed to um, be detrimental to the Nazi regime. Well, you know, that, that's not good. And, and they, they leverage and wedge the children, and they're doing that now with respect to this transgender nonsense. They're trying to raise up my children to believe something that, that is a lie. And, and it used to be called a mental illness, and it is a mental illness. We had it right the first time. So we have to be careful about this, and we do have to push back. Ruler, he says rulers are not a terror to good conduct but to bad, but, but that's a, there's a definition there. Who Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what's good, and you'll receive his approval. For he's God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he's the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. We could, we could struggle with that, right? I mean, how do you spend the tax money? You spend it to make war? Is that the right thing to do? Are we, are we, are we making bioweapons? Pay to all what's owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, and revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Does that mean that those are situational or positional things? Is respect owed to someone simply because of the position they have? In Band of Brothers, one of my favorite lines in there is, is when um, Captain Winters uh, has a, a, the man who put them through uh, basic training is a despised and, and awful guy, right? So now Captain Winters outranks this guy, and he comes by, and he refuses to salute. And he, his, he, he says, you don't have to salute the man. You re- salute the, and respect the rank. And so that's what matters. I respect your, your rank. I respect the fact that you're the president. I respect the fact that you're whatever. Um, but, but that doesn't mean that I have to respect you. Owe to no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, not murder, not steal, not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a labor to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So what Paul's argument there is, is that did you hear that word not in all those commandments? And so doing wrong to the neighbor is the sin. It's it's a negative commandment. And he says, love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hours come for you to wake from sleep. Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. 
Let's walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. We've seen that admonition over and over and over again. Final thing I'm going to have to say about civil disobedience here is, is that I don't know how many of you who might be listening today are Roman Catholic, but if you're not, if you believe that there's no place for civil disobedience, then you need to run back to either Rome or the Orthodox Church. Because what happens in the Reformation is, is that, that the, the Reformers decided that, that the, the authority over the Church, the Pope, was no longer a legitimate authority, and they overthrew it. So if, if you are um, on the other side of the Reformation and you don't, you're not Roman Catholic or Orthodox, then if you don't believe in civil disobedience, then you need to run back to Rome today. I don't encourage that, but you can.